I'm Chad Reed. I'm Hillary Langer. I'm Gil Jenkins. And this is Climate Positive. We want to invest in the next economy. The way I look at traditional investing is rearview mirror investing. You're investing where the market or where the economy has been versus next economy, which is where it's going. And I think the economy is going forward is a sustainable economy. So why not invest in that? This week, we're talking with Peter Kroll, the partner and director of sustainable investing at Earth Equity Advisors, a prime capital investment advisors company. Peter and I had a great chat about his background and journey into the industry. We also talked about how sustainable investing has evolved from what was first known as socially responsible investing, or SRI. And along those lines, Peter provided some very helpful clarifications on the differences between impact investing and ESG investing, as he sees it. I also found time to get Peter's take on a few of the energy and environmental sectors that excite him most. I hope you find this conversation with Peter as interesting as I did. It was really fun to check in with a true veteran and expert in the field of sustainable investing. Pete, welcome to Climate Positive. Thanks, Gil. I am really excited to be here today. And we are as well. I, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on was uh, you have such an interesting background as a true veteran in the sustainable investing financial advisor space. Could you give us a sense of your origin story, your background from the early days and what you're doing today? Absolutely. So I started in financial services back in 98 with Merrill Lynch, Mother Merrill, as we used to call it back in the day. And, you know, it went back when it was an independent entity and they had a pretty decent reputation at the time. I spent about five years, give or take, with Merrill. They had great training, but it was time to move on when I did. That would have been in 2003, 2004, somewhere in there. And about the time, I had been able to spend some time with a gentleman named Bill McDonough. Sure. Cradle, cradle, cradle. Cradle the right? cradle guy, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he was such an interesting person. And so one of my clients actually was putting a, a rainwater catchment system at his house in Charlottesville. And so he invited me to come along and we spent an afternoon with Bill in his office. And, you know, if you ever heard Bill speak, he's so thoughtful and, but, you know, he'll stretch things out. He'll be like, what if we, and there would be just some silence, you know, thought about, <laughs> and there'd be some more silence and, for you know, moving into sustainable investing or whatever it was that we were talking about. But it was, it was a really great afternoon. And that, so that was part one one of two. So that's what hooked you, right? I remember seeing him at the Commonwealth Club years ago. He was doing some work with Ford and he was sort of talking about a butterfly atrium and, and some of those impactful corporate designs. I, I had the same sort of wow experience. What a brilliant guy. Yeah. The um, documentary he did, The Next Industrial Revolution, was sort of what hooked me on him. But there was really two parts to this. So, so the second part is the woman I was dating at the time, Melissa, who's now my wife, she has PhDs in microbiology and molecular genetics. So she's definitely a hell of a lot smarter than I am. And cool. we were having some just really in-depth conversations about the environment and sustainability and climate change and all these things. And so- Like first date conversations or do you, what? Oh yeah. I mean, we started off you know, like just diving in the deep end. So Love it. she amazes me every day. So we were having these great discussions 
And I took what my conversations with Bill and I took my conversations with Melissa and then I combined them with, it's interesting, there was a guy at Merrill who every time the Calvert rep came in said, you know, I'm going to do that socially responsible investing thing. And I mean, he never really did it because it wasn't sort of aligned with what his values were. It was just a marketing opportunity. But I think that's probably, you put those three things together and that's what sort of put me over the edge. And so I hung up my shingle in June of 2004 as Crawl & Company. We continued on as Crawl & Company until I think 2017 when we transitioned over to Earth Equity, started, our, you know, formed our own RIA at that point. And just over a month and a half ago, we actually sold the firm to Prime Capital Investment Advisors out of uh, Overland Park, Kansas City area. And we're really, really excited because they're a $26 billion firm. And we have a lot of really good benefits for both of us. You know, they wanted a sustainable investing arm and we wanted to be able to scale. So we're really excited. Let's rewind back real quick because there's a lot over those 17 years. So you're, you're started at what became Earth Equity Advisors. The framing in 2004, 2005 on this space was words like responsible investing, SRI, socially responsible investing, impact investing. How has it evolved over that period to maybe the last four or five years of ESG investing or sustainable investing? And just give us a sense of how you've seen this work change over a pretty crucial period. So, you know, going back to the days of socially responsible investing in, you know, 04, 05, basically right up, you're right up until about the last five years or so. A lot of it was exclusion focused. You know, what don't we want to own? Right. No sin stocks, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, we don't want, al you know, not necessarily for us, we didn't want alcohol because we like alcohol, but um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it was exclusion. It's where shareholder advocacy w w was also an important part. I mean, it still is. And community investing has always been sort of that third leg of, of socially responsible investing. And so fast forward to over the last several years here, SRI has transitioned to sustainable, responsible and impact investing. So it's a, you know, the acronym has changed. ESG has come in. And I'd like to make a really clear distinction between what ESG is and what sustainable investing are, because they're two different animals. I'm so glad that you're about to do this because this is going to lead to some follow-up on the importance of terms and the confusion that is out there. So thank you for setting this up. And of course, these are our definitions of them, but this is how we run our portfolios. So ESG for us is basically it's a set of metrics. That's all it is. What happens though with, with ESG is, is that you get the large investment managers, the you know, the Black Rocks of the world or the vanguards of the world. And all they do is they take an index, they put an overlay of ESG on, and they make what Bill McDonough would have called a less bad portfolio. And we don't want to be less bad. We want to be positive. So we try to look at investing. We look at sustainable investing. And for us, sustainable investing is positive. It is solutions-based. It is action-oriented. And so the example I like to give is a portfolio that reduces its exposure to ExxonMobil is less bad. A portfolio that eliminates it entirely is better, but one that replaces it with First Solar is actually sustainable. And so that's how we put portfolios together, where we want solutions. We want the Hannon Armstrongs in there. We want the companies that are 
investing money to make change going forward. My friend Garvin J. Bush that runs the Green Alpha Funds out in Boulder, they like to use the term next economy. And I think that just describes it really well. We want to invest in the next economy. The way I look at traditional investing is rearview mirror investing. You're investing where the market or where the economy has been versus next economy, where, which is where it's going. And I think the economy is going forward is a sustainable economy. So why not invest in that? I think what's interesting about how this has evolved as ESG as a notion as uh, in the financial markets has become more mainstream, the loose definitions of something that is more of a risk strategy or a set of metrics that corporations use to you know promote transparency and, and give a view for investors on their, their risk level. Whereas I think there's still a large percentage of people that just think ESG, well, that means positive impact, sustainability. And that's where the interest, particularly from young people, is coming on wanting to align their portfolios with companies that are that are actually making a difference, that are harnessing the next economy, that are, you know, sustainability is inherent to their business and it's about opportunity. And you don't have to sacrifice returns to do that because this isn't just impact investing for the sake of impact that you can have both positive impact and strong returns. But, you know, I don't know how we put the genie back in the bottle. It's good in many ways that this has become a mainstream notion, but those are diametrically opposed idea. One is just about sort of risk and the other is impact and sustainability. I don't know how we unpack this, but I'd be interested in your thoughts. When I give talks, one of the things I always ask is if you're investing in a sustainable fund, uh, do you expect to see ExxonMobil in there? And not a single hand ever goes up. I know. It seems pretty obvious. I mean, it seems to be a no-brainer to me, but I understand where the ESG folks are coming from. They're trying to create metrics that they can reduce risk. I have no problem with that. I think that's great. We use ESG metrics when we put portfolios together, but it's not necessarily what's at the fore. What's at the fore for us is picking industries that are going to be leading us. And, you know, when it comes to ESG, the majority of, or a lot of that money is being put in by institutions that have a charge that they need to invest with ESG. They need to, they need to start using those metrics. But the reality is, is, and this was a couple of years ago, it may have changed since, but a lot of that research was just simply going into the G side, just making sure that there was mostly good governance. But I'm of the opinion that Shouldn't that just be good due diligence and research if you're making sure that a company has good governance before you buy into it? That just seems like a no-brainer to me. We're starting to see some headwinds on the ESG side, again, because, you know, the, the former vice president called it woke investing, and there's definitely some political bombs that have been thrown relative to this. But it, when you look at it at the end of the day, it's mostly to motivate a base that really doesn't know what ESG is. ESG is simply about finding metrics that can have mostly negative impacts on a company. And so it's all about risk. It's all about how do we minimize risk in our portfolio. So again, we use ESG as an underlying metric, but we're not out there pushing, you know, ESG investing, ESG investing, ESG investing, because it just, again, it just simply makes a less bad portfolio. But for those institutions that, need, that simply are using it to reduce their risk, it's reasonable. Totally reasonable strategy, yes. So 
without giving it too much credence, I mean, what what are your thoughts on the, I would say, fairly well coordinated political attack, maybe starting from the Republican Party, both in states and on the Hill? What do you think about, I guess, the relative hypocrisy of trying to sort of equate these practices with this idea of woke capitalism. It's in the headlines a lot. It does. There's a lot of dark money behind this pushback. It's ESG and sustainable investing and and climate reporting and strategies have been wrapped up into these ongoing culture wars and, and woke wars. I'd just be interested in your thoughts on where we sit today. At the base of it, it is pandering. It's just simply trying to get people upset and to divide us. That's the base of it right there. Beyond that, It's something that actually ultimately will end up hurting those that are espousing, you know, anti-ESG rhetoric because, you know, some of the big companies that underwrite municipal bonds, that underwrite a lot of governmental debt, have the scale to get better rates for those municipalities. And eliminating them from, from bidding is ultimately going to hurt the people who they're supposed to be helping because they're going to have to pay higher interest rates on, on debt. So that's a big part of it. Is it going to have a negative impact on sustainable investing or ESG, which please don't take that I'm equating the two because they're not, but the answer is no, because people are going to invest sustainably or with using ESG metrics because it's something that they want to do. The odds are that those people that they're pandering to were never going to invest that way in the first place. And so is anything going to be lost? No. Is there going to be some pressure on some institutions? Probably. But you know, when we're talking about the trillions of dollars that are currently invested this way, it's going to be a drop in the bucket. And you know, I had an I was interviewed specifically on this topic uh, by Bloomberg uh, a few weeks back. And he asked me the question about whether I thought it was going to have an impact. And I responded by saying, you know, during the Trump administration, we had some of the best growth we've ever had. And there was a major anti-ESG investing push during that time. So it may not be as coordinated as it is uh, right now, but I just don't see it having a negative impact. I think what's also a bit frustrating, a level down to this is, you know, these anti-ESG attacks, ideological pandering, they do mask and distract what I think are some fair and reasonable critiques against ESG metrics and maybe more ESG ratings more specifically and the, the complexity and the lack of standardization and some of the greenwashing issues, candidly. I mean, there's some merit to those as, as the Absolutely. industry is evolving. But we can't have that conversation, it seems, when there's the silly arguments. One point I forgot to make is that, you know, Republicans are the party of free markets, right? And, you know, do business the way you want to do business, except when it negatively impacts our campaign donors, i.e. fossil fuels. It's pretty anti-capitalist. I mean, seriously, you know, it's certainly not libertarian, right? Go out and do your own thing. Again, it's it's hypocrisy at its at its most blatant. All right. Well, let's get out of. We had to go there. Um, I want to make a comment on one thing. Uh, one yes. specific example is the the politicians in Utah got really upset 
when one of the uh, bond rating agencies put a, a negative environmental rating on their bonds out there. And, you know, the politicians were all up in arms. But the reason why they put a negative environmental rating on it was because of drought. You can't tell me that drought is not a material impact on a municipality. And, and if they're saying that these things are, aren't material, then they don't understand the way economics works. And so, you know, at the end of the day, as an investor, I want to know every single thing that could possibly have a negative impact on an investment that I have. I'm never going to get that, but the more data, the better. And so why would you want to exclude data that could potentially get your investors, your citizens, whatever it is, a better return? Well said. Let's transition a bit to how you construct portfolios and funds and specifically some of the the sectors that you're excited about where there's a lot more choice now, certainly as sustainability and and clean energy prices have fallen dramatically over the last 10, 15 years. And we've got certainly some some policy tailwinds that we can talk about on the federal level here with the IRA. But give me a sense, you know, how do you go about building um, a portfolio? And then let's jump into some industries that you're really excited about. Right Absolutely. Now. So we we manage money two ways. We've got a couple of individual stock portfolios that we manage, our Green Sage Sustainability Portfolio and our Green Sage Decarb Portfolio. And we also have portfolios for clients that are uh, asset allocation. So there are different funds and ETFs put together to meet a specific target risk level. So that's how we manage our clients' monies. The, the majority of them are in the mutual fund portfolios because as a fiduciary and a financial advisor, that's one of the most important things that we do is, is match risk to goals and returns that, that our clients have. What's more interesting, though, to talk about is our, our individual stock portfolios and how we, we construct those. Green Sage uh, Sustainability Portfolio has been around for just over 10 years. We hit our 10-year number in December of 22, so uh, we're just over that right now, which there aren't a whole lot of sustainable portfolios out there that have been around for 10 years. That's so true. I'm, yes. I'm pretty proud of that. You should be. That accomplishment there. The way I put that portfolio together is I maintain a, a universe of, of stocks that are potentials. I'm always adding and subtracting to it depending on what companies are doing. You know, some of them are still around. Some of them aren't around anymore that, you know, from 10 years ago. And, and then at, from there, I focus on basically a list of different industries or sectors that I think are going to push us into a more sustainable economy. We're not trying to overlay ESG on a already constructed index or anything like that. We don't worry about differences from, from a particular index because, you know, it just, you can't index where you're going by, again, like I said earlier, uh, looking in the rear looking view mirror. Looking in the past, yeah. Yeah. That's part of the problem with widespread adoption of more sustainable portfolios is because so many institutions have to manage to an index. And this isn't, and, and it doesn't necessarily hit an index when you are pulling out the crystal ball, if you will, to look and see what, what, what industries and sectors are going to lead us uh, sustainably. But, you know, so just to give you some examples of what we're looking at, obviously, alternative energy, clean energy is always going to be one of the most important things we have. Energy efficiency is tremendously important because, the, you know, the best kilowatt is one that's not used, right? Absolutely. Here at uh, Hesse, that's 
that's been our legacy. We we roll and rock hard for efficiency, big part of our business. Um, Absolutely, you do that. You take care of that first before you add the clean generation. Right. You know, battery technology. You know, the, what, what, ten years ago you couldn't invest in a battery company. Now you have to pick which one you're going to invest in. You know, all of those are at this point in time still small caps and still pretty risky. But you know, we want to have access to that. It's a it's in a much smaller allocation as to, you know, versus some other large caps, but we want to have, we want to have our, our toes in the water for that. Water, not necessarily in privatizing water, but in water distribution, water technologies, water metering, filtration, things like that. You can't talk about sustainability without green transportation, natural and organic products and services that includes like foodstuffs and, and consumer goods. Sustainable real estate, so that's more on the on the REIT side. Thirty percent or something like that of our CO two emissions are coming from uh, from the built environment. So making sure that we've got that in there. IT is always going to be an important part. Uh, creating systems that make our processes more efficient. Green finance. I love to talk about this, so I'll bring this one up. And in, is insurance. What is the one industry that could have the single biggest impact on climate? Insurance. And and reinsurance, if you really want to exactly. get a level down, exactly the Swiss Re's, the Munich Re, yeah, they yep. they have the absolute bird's eye view on that, and they have the ability to price climate yes. and price risk, and you know on the insurance side, you know going to a uh, say a manufacturer that's got a facility on the coast that they're going to be paying some major damage amounts to as hurricanes get stronger or going out west where, where fires are, are continuing to impact the landscape. The insurance industry has, the need isn't there, but they have a responsibility to really push to get companies and municipalities to take climate risk into account. And so I think that they're the, the one industry that can have the biggest impact. In the United States, they have not done it. They have really fallen down on the job. In Europe, they're, they're, they're ahead of us. They're still not great, but they're, they're ahead of us on this. Let's see what else. Uh, recycling and circular economy, scientific instrumentation like the thermal fissures of the world, uh, green building technologies. And I always include biotech because a healthier society is a more sustainable society. And so that's that's the group of different industries that, that I want to have in this portfolio. It's, again, this is positively focused as opposed to, you know, what don't we want to own? Let's, let's be positive. Let's find, let's find the industries that are going to make the difference. If you had a crystal ball, what do you, what do you think these portfolios looks like in 10 years? You know, I don't think they're going to look a whole lot different. I think that the yeah. companies are going to be larger cap. So I think we're going to see, just like we did, I mean, I lived through the internet uh, boom and and then crash in this, you know, in the investment world. We're going to see the same things. We're going to continue to see consolidation. We're going to see the, the, the big guys get bigger and some of the smaller competitors are going to fall by the wayside. So there's probably going to be, you know, a couple other industries that, that get added to this list that we don't even know uh, are, are going to exist at this point. You know, there might be a way to pull carbon from the air. It hasn't been commercially proven yet, but, you know, I would love to invest in a company that can do that at scale. It doesn't exist at this point. You know, I would love to see, gosh, you know, everything from like quantum computing, which is going to, you know, really help push us forward in terms of our ability to scale our understanding of, 
of the world around us, you know, using modeling to find out what if, if, if we do this, then what happens? What do you think about, you know, sort of the near to midterm, some of those sectors you mentioned certainly stand to benefit uh, greatly from the Inflation Reduction Act. You know, I think certainly batteries were a big winner when you look at that legislation in different ways and advanced manufacturing for batteries, clean energy, of course, energy efficiency. What are your thoughts on the IRA as it relates to those specific sectors over the next couple of years? Well, first, I think it's the worst named piece of legislation ever. Yes. So I'll start with <laughs> well, that. Well, you know. You know, it's a compromise bill. And so we obviously didn't get what we wanted out of it completely, but it's politics. And so we have to deal with the, with the compromises of it. It's a huge step forward in terms of pushing these technologies forward, electrifying our economy, moving away from, from fossil fuels, natural gas, propane, things like that. I'm excited to get a an induction range at our house, you know, things like that. And, and and you don't necessarily think about that as contributing to it. But the more we can eliminate fossil fuel based energy, the bigger impact we're going to have. I mean, it's 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 a tough, tough lift at this point. But again, we would love to have seen a much more inclusive bill. We didn't get it. So we, we got to take and love what we've got. Great. Well, let's turn to our hot seat. All right. Fill in the blank. The best piece of advice I ever received is? Don't be afraid to fail. The piece of advice I have ignored is? Don't be afraid to fail. (laughs) Best part about driving an electric car? The pickup. Instant torque, right? Instant torque. What's the most common piece of advice that you give to young people? Work in a restaurant. Ah, why? Because working in a restaurant, you have to learn how to work with other people, coworkers. You have to learn to work with customers. You have to work within a system. And you have to do a lot of things under pressure. And you learn so much. You learn so many people skills. I'm an introvert by nature. It may not sound like it in this interview, but I'm an introvert by nature. And one of the things that I loved about working in a restaurant, and I was a, a dishwasher, for a year or so, uh, was that I was forced to interact with a whole bunch of different people and different kinds of people. And so even if it's just for a year, spend some time working in a restaurant, getting to know people and, and, and understanding what a service industry is like. If you work in a restaurant, you will never be mean to a, to a service worker. I understand you're a photographer. Do you have a photography hero? I mean, I think that the, the road answer would be Ansel Adams. Uh, I love landscape photography and you know, using the rudimentary tools that he had is pretty amazing. And you're a traveler too. Tell me about why you think travel is so important for the human mind and body and soul. Culture. I mean, especially here in, in the States where we get, you know, we get sort of myopic about our culture. I love Europe and I love uh, the opportunity to see the history. We, we don't have that same kind of history that they have over there. And so experiencing different cultures, experiencing different foods. Yeah, I, I, I can't wait for our next trip. Okay, last one. To me, climate positive means? Climate positive to me means actually doing everything you can so you know so here's what ha- here's what happens i think sometimes i think sometimes people see climate change as such a big 
problem that we become paralyzed. And so one thing I like to say is you can only do what you can do, but you have to do that amount. You have to contribute. If you can get afford an EV, get an EV. If you can afford to put solar panels on your house, put solar panels. If you can afford to get batteries with that, get batteries. But you can only do what you can do. And so to me, climate positive means doing everything you can to positively contribute to the solution. It's great. Thank you, Pete. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. It really helps us reach more listeners. You can also let us know what you thought via Twitter at ClimatePosiPod or email us at ClimatePositive at Hassey.com. I'm Gil Jenkins, and this is Climate Positive.